Did you know that you can get transcripts of all the podcasts we've done over at EssentialCoachingSkills.com? Well, you can check it out. And that will include today's podcast, which is going to be Step Up to Mastery with Ease. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Hi there. Welcome to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, before I do, I want to tell you a quick little story. A friend of mine uh, who I sometimes run with in Prospect Park or walk with um, told me that he often rides his bike or, or walks listening to um Books on tape. He listens to books on tape. I've never done that. I had never done that until fairly recently. And recently I have been listening to some books on tape and I, and I kind of like it. It's, it's kind of fun. So I thought, you know, I have a book. I, I, I can read it. I could, I could go ahead and read it. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a book on tape. It's a short book. It's not a long book, but it's, you know, if you read it, it's going to take longer. So, um, so I'm going to go ahead and do that. I think you'll like it. It's it's about a very, I consider, important uh, nugget of coaching wisdom, if you will, that I give to my clients from time to time. It is about creating new habits, how you can create new habits and do so um, by with a concerted effort to do so, as an example. Um, one more quick little story. One of the reasons that I came to create this process and the reason I wrote this little ebook that's available online called Step Up to Mastery with Ease is that I used to work for Tony Robbins. And uh, as a master trainer for Tony Robbins back in the 90s, people would often go to his trainings and then decide they needed more help and because uh, they weren't quite you know, manifesting what they'd gone to the seminar to create for themselves. They were trying to do what Tony said in the seminars, you know, take massive action, put yourself in a peak state, go out and do it, you know, start your new business, whatever. Um, and some people did that, of course, but others didn't. And they thought, oh, I'm missing a piece or something like that. I need help. So they'd call up Robin's research and say, I'd like to, I'd like to book a session with Tony. And they said, uh, no. He doesn't do that, basically. Um, but we have these, you know, people that we could recommend to you. So I would often get recommendations from Robin's research of folks who had been in that circumstance. So then they'd come to me and, and I'd talk to them and I'd realize that, you know, for them, they had set this massive goal for themselves. Like, let's just say, you know, jump to the top of a mountain hypothetically speaking. Of course, that's metaphorical. I hope you know that. But um, that's what they thought they could do. They could they could start this business and, you know, make a million dollars in a year or whatever. Um, and then when they tried to do this, tried to jump to the mountain, top of the mountain, they, they failed. And then they got the notion that's like, oh, something's wrong with me. I might as well just quit or notions like that. You know, so it was like all or nothing. 
I don't know if that sounds familiar. Maybe you've read about people like that. But every now and again, someone has an experience like that. And and for me, it was like, no, you 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 want to climb the mountain. It's a daily process of getting there little by little by little. If you if you're a really good jumper, you can make jumps along the way, but all the way to the top of the mountain, very few people are going to actually make that happen. Right. So this is a process based um success formula, if you will, that helps you to create habits of success along the way. At the beginning of the book, which again is called Step Up to Mastery with Ease, E-A-S-E is an acronym for these four steps of easy, acceptable, stretch, and extraordinary. Uh, If you think a little four-step staircase, bottom rung is very easy. It's just you take a little step up. If you were to try to go from the bottom to the second step, well, that would be acceptable. It's not all the way to the top, but it's, you know, it's a good, good step. If you step to the third step from the bottom, that's a stretch. And if you get all the way to the fourth step and from the bottom of the staircase, that's extraordinary. But if you climb the step one at a time, it makes it a lot easier. So that's the name of the book, Step Up to Mastery with Ease. It is authored by me, Doug O'Brien, a few years ago, and it is available as an ebook. Um, but I'm just going to read it to you so you don't have to buy it. Here it is. It's uh, the beginning of it has a couple of quotes, one by Aristotle. It says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Just as an aside, I don't think Aristotle actually said that, um, but he is quoted as saying, and it is famously attributed to him in much literature. But um, if you dive deeper into attributions, there's, there's doubt as to whether he actually said, but it's a damn good quote. And it might be by Aristotle. Who knows? The other quote is by John Lennon. He says, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. So step up to master with ease. A few years ago, when I was a music major in college, I met a young man named Paul, who was a brilliant violinist. I don't remember if he became the concertmaster of the school orchestra in his freshman year or if it took him till his sophomore year to achieve that status, but soon he dominated the string department. In the competitive world of classical music, it's usually pretty easy to find things not to like about other musicians, people like Paul, but the thing I found most annoying about this guy was that he was a truly nice person. You could not like him. I hated that. It didn't seem fair that one person should be handsome, talented, and genuinely nice. At lunch one day, I struck up a conversation. I asked him if he'd come from a family of privilege and had taken lessons from the top teachers his whole life. I was sure of it. No, he said. Actually, he'd come from a non-musical family and had only began taking lessons when he was in the sixth grade. And then his teacher was, while competent, was just the high school orchestra conductor, not some fancy schmancy heavy hitter. So I said, then what's your secret? He said, no secret. I just practice. He said he hadn't missed a day of practice since beginning his first year of lessons. I was incredulous, but I discovered his secret. I said, so wow, you what, practice like eight hours a day all those years? He said, no, not eight hours, but something every day. Early on, my teacher told me that if I practiced an hour or more every day, then I'd accomplish what I wanted to musically. But that if I couldn't do that, I should make sure that at least got the fiddle out of its case each day and hold it on my lap for five minutes. 
as long as I did something every day, I'd be okay. Oh. It wasn't massive action over a short period of time. It was consistent action over a long period of time. Sometimes more, sometimes less, but always something on a daily basis. But that takes time, and it's not very exciting. So how can I get it now? Is there a pill I can take? How do you get to Carnegie Hall? I decided to give it a try, and to my surprise, it wasn't always as easy as it sounded. I was a pianist, and sometimes that five minutes of sitting at the piano was sometimes remarkably difficult. I'd have been out partying too late and hung over, drinking age was 18 back when I was in college, and bars were open till two. Next day, and Beethoven and scales were the last thing I wanted to do. But I dragged myself through it, and you know what? It got easier. Most of the time, even on the days when I was planning to do just five minutes, I'd look up and discover I'd already been there for 15. And really close to my next, you know, plateau of 20 minutes. So I'd plug on and before you knew it, I'd be up to half an hour. So little by little, my daily practice time increased to two hours on average, and my weekly total started edging past 15 hours or more. Soon it was up to 20 hours a week, and I began to pride myself on setting new records and how good I was getting at the instrument. I was enjoying it more than ever. I remember once not being able to practice because of travel in the snowy weather or something and school closings, and it just felt terrible not to be able to get my practicing fixed. I remember reading how Arthur Rubinstein, the famous pianist, said that if he didn't practice for one hour, I mean, if he didn't practice for one day, then he could tell the difference. If he didn't practice for two days, his wife could tell the difference. And if he didn't practice for three days, the audience could tell the difference. Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. You are what you do every day. So it could be easily said that successful people are people with constructive habits. Good runners run every day. Musicians practice every day. Dancers dance every day. Not just to get good or even so much to stay good, but because it's who they are. And being who they are, practice is what they do, virtually automatically. Remember the first time you learned to ride a bike or drive a car? It was not at all easy, was it? You really had to think about every little aspect of what you were doing, and the results were usually less than glamorous at first. Yet today, you do it elegantly, without even thinking about it. That is to say, your conscious mind is not thinking about it, because your other-than-conscious mind has learned the patterns necessary to perform the task properly. Creating Positive Habits so how do you develop these positive habits? The short answer is by doing them consistently. A slightly longer answer would be that you can do it one of two ways. You can do it with willpower or you can do it with ease. It is important to note that our example, the young Paul, was gentle with himself when it came to his practice, sitting with a fiddle on his lap for five minutes. It didn't even say he had to touch it or practice it. He just had to sit with it on his lap. While at the same time, he had his eye set on a higher goal. So an hour, hour a day was his you know, set goal. In more recent years, I've become a success coach to a number of people in New York City from various strata of income. People I've worked with have been from the East, like East Village starving artists to Wall Street investment bankers. 
It's been a fascinating learning experience for me because all of these fine folk wanted the same thing, for me to help them create massive change in their lives, success. But they also had common rules about the time frame in which they wanted this success. Now, the problem is with rules like that, they were setting themselves up for failure because if they didn't achieve their massive change in the time frame allowed, then it was over. This all or nothing mentality made it so their arrow shall, fell short, their arrow fell, sh I can't read this part, their arrow fell far short of the moon that they'd convinced themselves they were hopeless and would never be otherwise. I believe that success is not a sprint, but a marathon. That taking massive action is fine, but the effort that you can sustain over time, that is the thing that really creates success. So you want to become the kind of person who does what you want to do. I'd suggest to these people that successful people do their thing daily. It's part of their daily routine as much as a morning cup of coffee is for many people. It gets to the point where not doing it would feel strange. It's not work. It's not a particular effort. It's just who they are. It's become their identity. Runners run. Actors act. Musicians play. Writers write. So how do we create that for ourselves? There's a universal law of habit formation. According to Dan Millman, the author of The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, do something 36 days in a row and it becomes ingrained in your unconscious mind as a habit. This means 36 uninterrupted days. That is, if you practice your craft every day for 15 days and then you skip a day, the day you resume practice is counted as number one, not number 16. Therefore, it is most beneficial if you make it easy for yourself to accomplish this. This is where the principle of ease, E-A-S-E, comes in. Ease is a system of multi-tiered goals. Like a marathon runner saying before a race, well, I'd love to win, but the chances are slim for that, so I'd be delighted if I beat my personal best. Short of that, I'll be happy to do well for my age group, but I'll be satisfied as long as I finish. Right? So there's these different levels of satisfaction. Notice that our imaginary runner is on the happy side of things no matter what the result, unless, of course, he doesn't finish. There is, in fact, a pretty wide spectrum of results that are all positive, winning the race. If you've ever been to a marathon, the winners do it in about two hours and 10 minutes, maybe, on average. The fastest marathon I ever ran in my life was three hours and 25 minutes. And that was still pretty good. I was still up near the front of the pack, at least for the New York City Marathon. You know, a lot of people take five, six hours to finish a marathon. So that's a pretty wide spectrum. I'd be okay if I won, but chances are slim for that. I'd be, decided it'd be good if I beat my own best record. Um, short of that, I'd be happy to do well for my age group, but I'd be happy as long as I finish. Right? All on the positive side of success. So you know that old expression about an apple a day keeps the doctor away? Well, how many apples a day do you eat? <laughs> if that's true at all, and an apple a day keeps the doctor away, you should be investing in a lot of apples, right? <laughs> what about flossing your teeth? You know that's good. How many people floss your teeth every day? I do, by the way. I got into the habit of doing that through this means, and I can tell you, it feels really weird. I have to get out of bed if I haven't flossed. I have to get out and do it, even if it's like four in the morning. It just it bothers me. How many glasses of water do you drink in your, in, your, in a day? Do you make your bed every day? Do you eat the recommended 
number of portions of fruit and vegetables. What if you did? Would you enjoy the benefits they would bring you? So what's stopping you? What is something that you know, if you did every day, would make your life better? It's an easy enough level of doing that provokes a, well, heck, I could do that. Right? So what, what would be that, that level? What would be something that would be easy enough that say, yeah, I can do that? Um, apple a day. Walk, you know, 40 steps, 40 blocks, whatever. You know, just make note of what that would be. Now start doing it. So here's one of the little tricks. We want to shape positive habits. And the way you do that, way you shape behavior is you reward approximately right behavior. It's not good or bad. You reward approximately right behavior. Shaping new behaviors comes from rewarding the desired behavior. In her wonderful book, Don't Shoot the Dog, Karen Pryor describes attempting to teach dolphins a new behavior. It didn't take long to figure out that dolphins and other intelligent life forms like people don't respond favorably to traditional negative reinforcement, i.e. punishment. If you try to punish a dolphin, he's just not going to cooperate, not going to play with you. They do respond to creative, positive reinforcement. Hence, the ease system makes it real easy to avoid any pain and thus enjoy various levels of pleasure, various levels of reward. So the levels of achievement could, again, be codified as these little four steps. Um, if you imagine stepping, you know, standing on level ground and stepping up the first step to the easy level, just one little easy step. Second step up there is the acceptable level. Third step up is the stretch level. And the fourth step up is the extraordinary level. So here are the five keys to utilizing this ease platform method. So you select the goal you wish to focus on. Start by imagining what it is that you'd like to accomplish. Maybe that's writing a book. Maybe that's starting a new business. Maybe that's expanding your business. But decide what the goal is that you wish to focus on. Then imagine what could you do every day in order to lead to the accomplishment of that goal. Imagine in the best of all worlds how much of this activity you'd like to do daily. Enlist that as your stretch level goal. I'll explain why this is the best place for this in a minute. Step number three, decide what you would be the minimum amount of the activity that you could do easily and still count as something. You know, that would be your easy level. All right, so now we've got the easy level, we've got the stretch, we've got the first step, we've got the third step. Okay, now split the difference. Key number four is you split the difference between your easy level and your stretch level. This will be your acceptable level. And then finally, Number five, the fifth step for the keys of utilizing this ease process is imagine what you'd enjoy bragging that you do every day. Put that in as your extraordinary level. Don't make it too extreme. Something that you could conceivably actually do from time to time. So that's it. It's not rocket science, I'll grant you, but it still works. And make sure you do something that every single day. Strive for the extraordinary. You strive for the big step, and you'll stretch yourself every day. As you do, there'll be days you'll find that they're acceptable and days that you'll just be very happy to, you know, get away with that ease level. But each day when you do something towards your goal, you'll get into the habit of doing it. And little by little, your unconscious mind will create the mental emotional construct that this is who you are. Not simply a person who runs, 
but a runner, not simply a person who writes, but a writer, not just a person who loves doing what they love, but a person who is that that they love. That's the secret. Don't tell anyone. Keep this between you and me. So I'm going to take a moment off from this uh, reading of the book and give you an example. Let's just say um, you want to practice the piano. I used to be a pianist, so I'm going to use this example, something that I've used many times with many students over the years. But I asked them, what, using the same you know, five keys to say, so what's the goal you want to, what, want to accomplish? I want to get good at piano. I want to learn to play the piano. That's number one. Then imagine what you could do every day to lead to the accomplishment of that goal. And then in the best of worlds, how much of it is you'd like to do every day? So I'd like to practice an hour a day. I'd really, I would really like to do that an hour a day. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So I'm going to put that in as my stretch level. Then how much would be the easiest thing if I, if I was like super busy at all these meetings, I was up late and get some stuff, too many emails came in, I had to put out some fires at work. What would be like the minimum level that I could say, okay, well, I did something towards a goal. And let's just say hypothetically, that's five minutes, right? Five minutes of sitting down at the piano and, and really looking at it and practicing it even for five minutes, but okay, I did something. I could check it off on my little chart. Then you split the difference between those two. What's the difference between an hour and five minutes? Yeah, half an hour, let's say. So we'll put that in. Maybe make it 35 minutes just for fun. But th 30 minutes is fine. Half an hour is perfect. So that's the acceptable goal, acceptable level. Now, let's imagine something that I could brag about saying. You know, if I said I'm going to do it for eight hours a day, well, that's not going to happen. I, I don't have eight hours a day to practice the piano. But if I said to people... I practice two hours every day. I'd be able to brag about that. Now, and it's certainly possible that on some days I could do two hours, right? So it's not pie in the sky. It's not crazy. It's something that's actually possible some days. So I'm going to put that in as my extraordinary level. So now I've got four levels, all which will be me doing something towards getting good at playing the piano. If I can do nothing else, I'll do at least five minutes. Even if I'm dead tired, I'll do at least five minutes before bed. On a better day, I'll do, you know, half an hour. What I'm really hoping, striving for is to get that hour a day and every day if I do that. But in the back of my mind also, it's like, I want to do those two hours. I want to, I really want to be able to brag about that. So with that idea that two hours is what I really want, the hour seems a lot easier and it's much more achievable. And that's in a secret way, my actual goal. So let's, let's keep on reading here. I'm taking from, I'm not sure what page this is. Um, my copy of the book is not page numbered, but uh, heading starts goals, both realistic and motivational. So let's talk for a minute about what the uh, step number two and why that's your stretch goal. Um, it is because of the principle of follow through. So one of my favorite activities that I've had the privilege of teaching for the past 10 years, it says when I've been doing it for 30 years now, for the past 30 years um, is a wood breaking experience to high schoolers in an annual leadership camp in New Jersey. It's called RILA, Rotary Youth Leadership Award. And I've uh, taught this wood breaking thing to these kids for every year until 2020 since 1990. Uh, in one evening, we use the metaphor of karate style wood breaking to give these students an experience of breaking through obstacles that stop them. 
It's a metaphorical experience. They break through this obstacle, and that's a metaphor for breaking through limitations in their in their life. You know, not enough schooling, not enough time, whatever these imaginary obstacles. So it's a thrill for them to discover that they can really do something they were sure was impossible and see their faces light up as they draw the parallel between this and their lives overall. It's also a great metaphor for the idea of follow through and aiming beyond your goals. The secret in woodbreaking is to aim beyond the wood. You imagine that the real target is about three inches beyond the piece of wood that's be being held in your way. And you aim for that place three inches past the board. So you go through the board to get to your target. If you're just aiming at the surface of the board, you're going to take a beating. Your hand's going to be raw before you, you know, <laughs> break through. If you do at all, probably the board will remain intact. You must extend beyond the plane of the board that you are striking and follow through to reach for it. The board doesn't stand a chance when you do that. So it is with goal setting. You must be constantly striving beyond what you really want. Enough, but not too much. What's too much? Something unrealistic. Most diets and exercise programs that fail do this for that reason. They set up goals that are too far beyond what they can do realistically, at least what they can realistically do at this time, you know, and from now on and from willpower alone. This extraordinary goal should be one that you conceivably do and actually can do from time to time. So imagine asking a fledgling bodybuilder to, you know, deadlift 300 pounds in one week's worth of training. While it's not impossible, it's highly unlikely. And it's much better to start where you are and then build up from there in your own way. The waiter's dream. Here's a real life example of setting sights too high. I was working for a while ago with a client who had gone to a, a seminar, Tony Robbins seminar, and had gotten totally pumped up about making a huge fortune. He believed that since the seminar leader, Tony Robbins, <laughs> had got himself gone from being broke to being a millionaire practically overnight, that he, all he had to do was believe it with his whole heart and get pumped up and take massive action and bada boom, bada bing, he'd be rich. Unfortunately, it hadn't worked out quite that way. And he was totally bottomed out. He was, he was bottomed out. He was bummed out. Not only was depressed, but he was still in debt and is still the financial straits. And now he owed for the seminar, which was pretty expensive. So I asked him what had been his plan. First of all, where are you starting from? What was his line of work and what plans did he have for earning the money? Well, he was a waiter in a nice restaurant in Greenwich Village in New York City. A good night would give him a couple hundred dollars or so in tips. I asked him if he knew how much he needed in tips each night to add up to a million in a year. And he didn't know. So we did the math. And it turned out he would need to make at least $2,793, no, $739.73 each day of the year. He also would not be able to spend any of that and really avoid the IRS. His response was in three parts. Number one, he didn't know it was that much. He didn't think it would, he could get that from waiting tables, and I agreed. Uh, number two, he didn't like that part about not spending any of it. Um, who would? And number three, he'd forgotten about taxes. So we agreed to looking at his goals in a different way. 
without abandoning the overall desire to be rich, we came up with a measurable goal that he could actually attain over a few years and a plan that he could actually carry out, a plan that would allow him to grow into, the, into being the kind of person doing the appropriate job that would get him to where he wants to go. When I, sass, lost, when I last saw him, he was happily progressing towards the goal with ease. Now, real life story, that's a real life story. Um, following up to that, he had, um, last time I saw him, which was late 90s, he was doing really, really well. He'd, he'd actually gotten to a place where he was opening a restaurant with a partner, uh, not in Manhattan. He'd, he'd gone to New Jersey at that point, but he was a, a part owner in this new enterprise. And they had plans for you know, sort of making a number of restaurants. They had a, a franchise system set up. So it was looking good. Now, let's look at another real-life example, running marathons. A number of years ago, I decided I wanted to run a marathon. So I began training for one and soon made a very interesting discovery. It was hard. It was hard. You got to run really fast and for a long time. Not only that, it was challenging in a variety of ways. You have to run a lot in order to get into shape in order to do it, but not too much so you don't get injured. And honestly, for me, one of the hardest things about it was getting off the couch and getting out the front door on a regular basis. So that's when I started applying this ease system. I made my easy level literally to get out the front door with my sneakers on and just run a little bit, like up to the corner. That's it. Lacing up my sneakers, getting, you know, other clothing and getting outside and running up to the corner of my block. Little did I know, I was stumbling upon the living embodiment of Newton's first law of physics, overcoming inertia. Newton's first law of classical physics states, essentially, that a body at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. Newton goes on to say that a body in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. Newton was thinking about an abstract body like a, a ball or a planet, right? I'm talking about my body and it applies to me too. Body at rest, me sitting on the sofa, right? But once you get out the front door and the body at rest gets in motion, it's pretty easy to keep it going. That's why the easy step is so important. You want to get the body moving, the person moving, the, the goal moving. And once you've taken that first step on our ease ladder, it's also relatively easy to accomplish the second step. So once you've taken that first step, it's easy to go on to the second step. So my second level was not that much more difficult, really. Um, once I got into the corner, my second level was to run for 10 to 15 minutes. Lo and behold, once I was at the 15-minute level, I could very easily get to the next stretch level, my third step up, which was 20 to 25 minutes. I was also pretty far away from home and I had to get back somehow. So sometimes I would even get to my extraordinary level, which was to run for 30 to 40 minutes. Now, if you were planning on running a marathon, that's not a lot of running, but it was a good start, good place to start. As you get into better shape, it was easier and easier to accomplish those levels, so I needed to re-evaluate. Just getting out the front door was not good enough anymore. Generally speaking, the easy level isn't good enough, really, but it just gets you going. It overcomes the inertia, and that's that good first step. 
So I upped my easy level to run for 20 minutes. My acceptable level was to run for 30. My stretch level was to run for 45 minutes. My extraordinary level was to run for an hour. Soon I reevaluated again and began to measure my runs by miles rather than minutes and I had to recalculate. So one to two miles was easy. Three to five miles was acceptable. Six to eight miles was a stretch and it was a stretch and nine miles or above was extraordinary. And yes, it was pretty extraordinary. Recalculation must be inherent in the system for it to work long-term. As you improve, reevaluate your levels to be commensurate with your progress. In my example, later I began to calculate my weekly mileage instead of my daily count. This allowed for the hard, easy days to, of training to recommended to me by my running coach. It was pretty easy to do 15 miles of running over seven days. Acceptable was 25 miles over seven days. Stretch level was 30 and 40 miles a week was my extraordinary level. Most importantly, throughout this process, I was evolving my self-image. Remember that universal law of habit formation I mentioned at the top of the article? It states that if you do something for 36 days in a row, it becomes ingrained in you as a habit. I think it goes deeper than that. I think it changes how we define ourselves on the identity level, who we believe ourselves to be. I had evolved my self-image into seeing myself as a runner. I was no longer a couch potato trying to get in shape. Running wasn't just what I did. It was who I was. Now, remember, reward approximately right behavior. While running all those miles over all those months, I also remember to treat myself like a dog. <laughs> that is, I remembered Karen Pryor's book, Don't Shoot the Dog, and I gave myself small rewards for my accomplishments. I didn't do anything extravagant. Basically, I kept a running journal and I wrote down how much I ran every day and totaled up the week's mileage. It felt good to see what I'd done and I felt proud to see a week with that every page, every day filled in, you know, when my week's total reached a new high, I'd circle the total and add a couple of exclamation points. When I'd flip through later, it's like, cool, look at those pages. Whenever I completed an organized race, I'd write down my time and draw a starburst around it. If I set a new PR, personal record, I rewarded myself with using a highlighter to color in that star starburst and emphasize my feet. I know it's silly, but using this method and some very good coaching, I was able to finally accomplish my extraordinary goal of running a fast enough marathon to qualify to compete in the Boston Marathon. That qualifying time has gold stars around it in the journal. You should see that. The ease method, by the way, is not right for every goal. Now, it's true. The ease method isn't necessarily the right process for every goal. There are some short-term goals that you don't really need this for. As an example, quitting smoking. Don't use the ease method for that. Quit now. <laughs> Over the years, I've helped thousands of people quit smoking. And it's the easiest way is just to quit. Hypnosis works fantastically well for this purpose. But you just do it. You just quit. Cold turkey, as they say. I think that to apply these ease principles to cutting down from smoking from two packs a day to half a pack, whatever, would really just be an excuse to not quit smoking. The best way to do it is to just do it. There are other goals like that, too. Deadline-driven goals like getting your taxes done on time or handing in that school report on time. Your deadline-driven things, you just buckle down, get in state, get it done. With the ease method, we're talking more like lifelong lifestyle changes. 
weight loss would be a perfect application because you really want to lose weight and keep it off, not just do the common go on a diet, lose a little bit of weight, and then gain it back again. You want a lifestyle change, so we lose the weight and keep it off. Applying the ease method allows you to change the definition of who you are into a, that of a healthier eater and exerciser. You can apply this ease method to the dietary process. You can apply it to counting calories. You can apply it to how many vegetables you're eating per day or servings of food of, of, of vegetables you're eating today. You can apply it to portion sizes. You can apply this ease process to create new change in yourself that lasts a lifetime. You want to balance acts and reacts. Balancing acts and reacts. The most important factor in successfully implementing the ease method is balance. You must foster a balance between being easy on yourself and being hard on yourself, both disciplined and yet being gentle. That's right, both at the same time. One of the lessons of the study of hypnosis has taught me is that your unconscious mind can utilize and appreciate a both-and awareness. It can appreciate a both-and logic. Built into the ease process is a balance of both being gentle and disciplined at the same time. You do want to strive for the extraordinary. You do want to constantly improve while at the same time feel good about and reward yourself for what you've accomplished. It's not one or the other. It's a process of utilizing both. Persistence is key and utilizing this e-system can really help you create a lifestyle and a definition of who you are at your identity level. It helps you create a life that's really a masterpiece. Well, that does it for another episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly enjoyed having you here. Hey, if you want more information about Sleight of Mouth, you can find it at EssentialCoachingSkills.com, or you might even check out SleightofMouth.org. That's a nice website, too. Thanks. Stay safe. Stay curious. <laughs>